Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast and joining me as co-host, journalist and fellow lifelong Houston sports junkie, Stephen Curran. Stephen, I know this will surprise you, but apparently the Yankees might have been doing a little cheating. And while you're laying on the ground after you fainted, I got some more shocking news for you. Rob Manford no. didn't want us to know about it. No. Not the Yankees, Robert. The, the the great, mighty, historic Bronx Bomber Yankees would never do something like that, would they? Especially, I mean, it wasn't that the same team that moaned and groaned and rent their clothes and put ashes on their head because they said that because the Astros cheated, if, if they hadn't cheated, they would have won the 2017 World Series. The Yankees would have. So surely you're not talking about the same team, are you? You know, it was fun to kind of see all this stuff happen on Saturday with Twitter. And, you know, Twitter was kind of a fun place to be on Saturday if you're an Astros fan. But oh, I, I got a lot to talk about with this thing. And and, and first <laughs> of all, in journalism, we got this thing called a news dump. Uh, if you want to go full conspiracy with all this, let me see. When you want a big story to be lost in the shuffle, what, what do you do, Stephen? Well, you find something else to trumpet, and there's plenty of that going on. <laughs> yeah, and then you also drop it late Friday night. Now, yeah, when the least like people are least likely to be paying attention. Now, I I've, I discovered the reason for it happening Friday night, part of the reason, like late Friday night. But uh, I talked to Evan Drellick, and he said, you know, look, it it, it came out. For the judge order came out on Friday, and then they had to go through all the details with, you know, verifying, seeing if they could get a comment from the Yankees and Rob Manford. And, and they also had to deal with the, the labor agreement, and that stuff was going on. So that's why it didn't come out till late Friday night. But our, our friend Evan Drellick, uh, as usual, right in the middle of everything, like he's been in the middle of, you know, everything that's gone on with all the cheating stuff. But uh, yeah, like you said, you you, you want to do a news dump, you drop it when there's a maybe a worldwide pandemic going on, maybe a Black Lives Matter movement going on around the world. And here's where I'm really upset, Stephen. I just want to rant for a little bit. You know, how about just ESPN ignoring the story this weekend? ESPN's Twitter, they don't mention it at all. And instead, Buster only writes a piece where he blames the labor agreement scuffle on a win-at-all-cost atmosphere like the Astros had under Jeff Luno. So somehow the Astros, it's not their fault where we are with the labor agreement. ESPN even used Luno and the Astros as their headline photo. So, Stephen, while I had a blast watching it all play out on Astros Twitter Saturday, the whole thing from Rob Manford to the national media's silence on this thing, it's, just, it's disgusting and it was pathetic. Well, it is disgusting, but does it really surprise you, Robert? I mean, this East Coast bias that the media has had, I mean, they, they had it, they, they've had it for decades. When I was a kid growing up, you never saw Houston teams mentioned unless they did something stupid or unless they were, you know, the laughing stock of the league. So here you're talking about a situation where it's the Yankees. Nobody dares wants to, to talk about that the Yankees might be doing something wrong, you know, and it especially after the Red Sox get basically a tap on the wrist for their cheating scandal. Don't you think that the same thing could possibly happen with the Yankees if and when an investigation is conducted? Oh, and by the way, you're talking about having this, you know, being dumped when things are going on. How about this is happening 
when there isn't any baseball going right now, even though there should be, and there may not be. So who knows how long that the Yankees are even going to play, just like everybody else, and yet they're being talked about in this thing. It, it didn't surprise me in the least the way this whole thing came out. Look, with the national media, Stephen, I, I think this is pretty simple. It's not like they're fans of the Yankees. It's that that if they say anything bad about the Yankees or the Yankees cheated or did something wrong or whatever, Yankee fan would jump on them and cancel them, and they wouldn't uh, watch ESPN or listen to ESPN. I, 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 honestly, I feel like that's that's the issue here. Well, that probably is. I mean, New York being, what, the top television market? There, there's some of that, and they don't care if Astros fans cancel them, and, and they probably figure they're not going to because they want to see their team on television. So, yeah, there's probably some truth to that. And and just the Astros, they're the team to pick on. They're the team that Major League Baseball made an example of. And, you know, they're suppo- I, I thought that you're supposed to get even tougher as you go along. Well, so far that hasn't happened because the Red Sox, as I said, got a tap on the wrist and – the Yankees, you know, it, it remains to be seen. But if I were a betting man, I'd say they'd probably get the same treatment that the Red Sox got. And you had like Jeff Passan being pitbull all over the Astros. It, it, it felt personal with him most of the time. And then I see on Sunday, you know, there, where's Jeff Passan? Where's all the talk about this? Where's the stories from Jeff Passan on what's going on with the Yankees here? You know, this is a literal cover up with Manfred. Major League Baseball and the Yankees. I mean, this is, we don't know if it's as bad as the Astros. It's probably not as bad as, as serious, but, you know, it, it's usually, you know, what do they say with Richard Nixon? It's, it wasn't the, necessarily the crime, but it was the cover up. But the, the other thing about passing is, you know what he's tweeting about? He's tweeting about promoting this Sosa McGuire home run race, this 30 for 30 thing Sunday night. I'm like, guess what? You're promoting a thing. That wasn't about a home run race. It was about a cheating scandal. It was a PED race is what it was, a ped race. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what it was. Yeah, that's another documentary that I don't think you'll see me watching in front of my television or eye device. I, I have no desire to do that. But, yeah, it's almost like they're trying to distract the issue, like you said, with, with so many other things that have absolutely nothing to do with this. And and to be fair, you know, nothing has been revealed just yet. If an investigation is going to be conducted, who knows what's going to come out with it. I but I remember Robert when we first started talking about this with the Astros and when the punishment came down, I don't remember if I said this on the podcast, but I know I thought it because the Yankees were making so much noise about the whole thing. I remember thinking, well, you better hope that you yourselves are not involved in anything like this. Or you're going to look really stupid if it should somehow come out. So that remains to be seen, too. Yeah, I was going a little bit back and forth on Evan Drellick with Evan Drellick uh, texting him. And, uh, you know, he's been on the show. I'm friends with Evan. I've been trying to get him to come on with us for the last few months. Trust me, I've been trying to get Evan to come on the show. And he said, I, you know, well, I asked him, I said, well, what's the deal? Why is this all about the Astros when everything else is going on? And his point was, and I, I don't know if this is a fair point because I don't know what we really know about all this, but he said the Astros are like the guy going 90 miles an hour in the 55 zone and where everybody else was going 65 miles an hour. But when I go in front of the judge, Stephen, 
I, you know, he's not going to go, well, you only went 65, so we're not going to fine you or we don't care, you know? Well, there may be something to that. I mean, that's an interesting analogy. I hadn't thought of it that way. But yeah, we'll just have to see how this whole thing plays out. But it, but it just, it, it stinks the way the media is covering it. Just like they cover so many other things, they, they kind of slant it to the side that they want it to be and don't necessarily pay attention to the facts. And let me just say, Buster Olney's got a podcast that he does almost every single day. And there's no right. baseball. There's no games to talk about. So I thought, well, what what, what is going to be said on his Monday podcast after the weekend, after this happened, about this? And within the first two or three minutes, they ran a little clip or something uh, uh, about it. You know, it, it was not any opinion stuff. But usually he's got somebody on. And for 20 or 30 minutes early in the show – especially when there's no baseball to talk about. They're talking about what's going on. So I listened. It was a 45-minute show. He had Carl Ravich on. He had another guest or two. Literally not a word the rest of the show. Not anybody's opinion on what about the Yankees cheating? What about the cover-up? I mean, yeah, I get it. you got to talk a lot about what's going on with the labor agreement. Uh, but you don't need 10 minutes on the Maguire-Sosa thing. Uh, a big hello promotion for your little network. And by the way, it, it had already run. That was the day before. So if the, if somebody missed it, they missed it. I mean, it's going to rerun, sure. But like, why did you need the 10 minutes on that? You could have talked about that the, you know, the previous week when there was nothing going on to be talked about except for the labor, labor agreement all week. But again, it's like, wh- 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 come on. What else is there to talk about? Yeah, the labor agreement and the Astros the, and the Astros-Yankees stuff. That's, that's it. Yeah, well, knowing ESPN, that was probably mandated by them because, you know, like the NFL, they basically don't like to have any fun and they tell you what to do so much that it, it could have been mandated that and don't mention this yet until we tell you to. But yeah, if it had been the Astros, they'd have probably spent 20 to 30 minutes talking about it and ignoring the labor situation. Wouldn't surprise me. You know, I, I, I know we had the Major League Baseball draft this week, but, God, it's hard for me to care when it's looking more and more like there's going to be no baseball this year. I mean, come on. It's it's looking pretty pathetic right now, right? Yeah, I didn't even watch the draft, and, I, and sometimes I will. I've checked it out on MLB Network, you know, a couple years or so, the last two or three years. So, uh, But, well, and it's, it's just hard if you don't know a lot of the names. Uh, you know, there's another Cruz in the uh, Jose Cruz family that got drafted, so that was kind of cool. Uh, uh, Trey Cruz going to the Tigers. But other than that, it just yeah, it didn't really pique my interest. And especially with as few rounds as it had this year, it's going to be interesting to see how many of these guys actually make it. They're also going to be a few months behind in their major league career. So I, I've already got to wait usually four or five years before maybe we even see them in an Astros uniform if we ever do. But now it's going to be longer than that because they're not going to get to play minor league baseball this year, I don't think. Yeah, it doesn't look like it. And, of course, with the, the state of the minor leagues, uh, that's going to be interesting, especially at some of the lower levels as to what teams actually come back when they do come back. And a lot of them you probably never will see again. So, yeah, even the minor league shakeup, I think, is going to affect these prospects too. I'm going to circle back to baseball. So if you're a baseball junkie and Astros junkie, you know, don't go anywhere. Don't turn us off yet. But I, I got to talk about, you know, four Texans and Cowboys players, four of them in total, including Ezekiel Elliott testing positive this week for COVID-19. Stephen, you wonder what this is going to mean for football in the near future. Uh, this is the type of stuff that concerns me. You know, when you consider that 
some of these guys, and maybe they haven't been out and about so much, or maybe they have, you don't really know, but you can't really blame some players in other sports like Kyrie Irving in the NBA for really not wanting to come back, especially if this thing is just continuing. It's, it's almost as if we're stuck with this virus, Robert, and it's not going to go away anytime soon. I th- I heard a quote the other day that I think puts it in a great perspective. We may be tired of the virus, but apparently the virus isn't tired of us because it just keeps hanging on. Well, you know why these guys could be testing positive. You know, a lot of the professional athletes, including Texans that we saw out there protesting at George Floyd's funeral in crowds, the whole thing. Yeah, there is that. And of course, a lot of people in those crowds not following the guidelines, not social distancing, not wearing masks. So that's I think that's why we're seeing a spike in cases in general across the country. So, yeah, a lot of these guys were in that public situation, were taking part in the protest. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but if you're going to do that, you're obviously taking a risk and you've got to follow the guidelines. That's what I say. Boy, with the ripple effect of, of the George Floyd situation, uh, Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins, they accomplished a little bit by getting Clemson to drop the name of their honors college. We talked a little bit about that, just kind of following up on what we talked about last week on that. But Stephen, as a Longhorn fan, which I know you are, I'd love to get your thoughts on the eyes of Texas. And I mean, since you've been standing for this fight song over the years, <laughs> do we got to officially cancel Stephen Kerr? Come on, man. What's what's your take on this? <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I I have my ups and downs about that. And now, of course, UT does have a lot of uh, controversy and history of racism over the years. You know, the way they've accepted students or not accepted them, I should say, you know, and how long it took them to integrate football. Of course, a lot of schools did that. So, yeah, there's some history behind that. I don't know. I, I must admit, I first raised my eyebrows when I saw that. I'm like, wait, the eyes of Texas? Really? But, you know, so many things are coming under scrutiny, Robert, that you wouldn't think about until this whole thing started. And it, it's just another indication that maybe we need to reexamine not only what we are saying, but why we are saying it or why we're doing it. And UT and the eyes of Texas, probably another example of that. I mean, I must be honest, I, I, to tell you the truth, I'm a U of H fan first and foremost, but I do cheer for UT and I have gone to plenty of UT games where, yes, I have stood for the eyes of Texas, but it certainly never crossed my mind about the words being that way up until just recently. Right. And it's not like the words are specifically put that way. It's the the inspiration of the words came from a Confederate saying, I guess, which the eyes yeah. of the South are upon you. And then right, the, right. the other thing is the melody was stolen from an, a, a song that was you know, I've been working on the railroad, which has got some racial overtones as far as w- w- the way it was used. At, at, yeah, at, that was the way that was actually what got my attention. What what you just said about the, the Confederate saying, I must admit, I hadn't I, I had forgotten that. But uh, the working on the railroad thing is what got me thinking about it first. First off. Yeah, you could almost go, well, the working on the railroad, they liked the melody, even though whatever the whatever they were using that song for I, I don't. I doubt they cared. I doubt they were like, you know what? This is going to be a little understated thing, a little racial thing. But when you when you look back and it's the eyes of the South and it's a Confederate thing. I mean, when you, I think it's just it's it's the combination of everything mixed up together. And the the one thing that I, I don't know about you, Stephen, I, you, you there might be a slight debate on some of this stuff when you're you know trying to nitpick like all. I don't know if it's nitpick. I mean, I, I don't say say that, but. 
what what there shouldn't be a debate about is all these statues of to me there's just too many statues like um, america and the world there's there's too many statues of of everybody for everything that maybe you don't need those people's statues everywhere. And we're, you know, obviously we see the Confederate soldier stuff come coming down, but you're also seeing, uh, you know, the, the Aggie statue is now under fire as well. But, you know, I just go back to, I remember, remember Akeem, he, they, they wanted to make a statue for him. And Akeem's like, you know, you're not doing any statue for me. It's against my religion. There doesn't need to be yeah. a statue of me in front of, in front of the stadium. No, thank you. Yeah, I do remember that. I I must admit, I I didn't know there were so many Confederate statues until we started talking about this thing, and so many of them are being removed, or they're calling for them to be removed. So, but I I guess that's why something like the Eyes of Texas is, is under scrutiny. I, I guess it's no different than all the scrutiny regarding the statues of Confederate soldiers and you know Confederate flags that the people want them removed. So, it, everything is coming under scrutiny at this point. Just because people have really become sensitive about not just what things are, are being said, but some of the history behind them. And I think you could go, oh, they're going to they're overreacting here, overreacting there. But, uh, you know, I mean, we're two white guys. What are, how are we going to say that? I mean, it's just like you, you don't know what this means to other people and you got to put yourself in their shoes. And also, I think the other thing is. If there is an overreaction or here or there, if it goes the other way here or there, it's worth it if you can correct some of the, a lot of the other ills and a lot of the other symbols that are bad symbols, frankly. I mean, that's we know that. Yeah. And if you think about it, Robert, it may not necessarily be a bad thing because at least now there is discussion being had. Whereas before, if there was total silence or a, a total blind eye being turned Nobody, you know, especially decision makers or people who had influence weren't speaking out, weren't doing anything about it. So, yeah, maybe it's going to the extreme in some cases, but at least there's a discussion now. And where that will lead, who knows? I mean, will there will there be ultimate change both in sports as well as society? Hard to say. You know, it's it's still too early in the game, I think. But at least we're starting to talk about these things. We're going to move away from politics and pandemics and all that stuff. And let's let's give a little fun stuff. And Stephen, baseball is just it's loaded with issues. But one of the big things for me is just how badly recognized and promoted current players are. And it's just flat out boring all the way down to promoting personalities. You and I remember when it seemed like every great player had a nickname. In my youth, you had Astro nicknames like the Ryan Express, the Big Bopper, the bottom bullet for Danny Darwin. But how about the major stars across baseball back in the day with the wizard for Ozzie Smith? Pete yeah. Rose was Charlie Hustle. Andre Dawson was the Hawk. Carlton Fisk was Pudge. Uh, Ron Guidry, Louisiana Lightning. And Stephen, baseball, they've got a long history, these great nicknames. But where are they today? Where are they today? Well, it's funny you ask, Robert. I, I was reading an article, you know, some months ago about nicknames in general, not just sports related. But, yeah, that, that was actually, you know, what they were asking is where have all the nicknames gone? And baseball, you know, especially back in the day, you know, Babe Ruth, uh, uh, you know, the Iron Horse, Lou Gehrig and, and things like that. Nicknames really were the way people identified their favorite players and you know, back in the day, I think what, what nicknames did is it it kind of contributed to bringing these players to life a little bit more for the fans because 
you know, they didn't have social media. They didn't have videos. They read about them in the newspaper. When television came along, yeah, they saw some games on television, but certainly not, you know, to the degree that we see it today. So I think nicknames were a way of just bringing these guys, maybe making them larger than life and identifiable to the fans. But I, I don't know if it's because of things like social media and the fans can interact with them a little bit more, you know, more videos where athletes are showing what they're doing. I, I don't know if that has depersonalized it or taken away that, but yeah, you definitely don't see the kind of nicknames and even the volume of them that you used to see. Well, let's just look at a guy who's the best player in baseball. He's been in the best player in baseball for the last few years. You, you already can start talking about him as one of the top 10 players to ever play the game. Mike Trout has no nickname. How is that possible? Mike Trout. Yeah, I know. I was racking my brain trying to think of, you know, surely there's a nickname for Mike Trout. I mean, you know, calling him the fish just doesn't even, <laughs> it's just too easy. He's got to have something, but no, I, I don't think he does have a nickname. And and a lot of the Astros players the that may be Hall of Famers sooner rather than later, they don't even have nicknames either. But yeah, across the whole sport, you just don't see it. I mean, we saw last year in 2019, that one weekend where Major League Place, uh, Baseball did the nickname thing, but that was just a temporary deal. And some of the nicknames, quite honestly, weren't that imaginative. No, the stuff on the back of their shirts wasn't right. good. I mean, the players giving themselves a nickname, that's not usually what you want to do. And the only Astro that has a good nickname is, is Yuli with La Pina. Um, yeah. Unless you count, I don't know what you think about Uncle Mike for Michael Brantley. It's a, eh, whatever. That's not. Yeah, I, I don't know. My nickname for Michael Brantley was, I probably wasn't much better, you know, Mr. Contact, I guess, because he just hardly ever strike. He He's always making contact. He always hardly ever strikes out. But yeah, Uncle Mike, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't do much for me. One of my, I'll tell you one of my favorite all time Astro nicknames. Well, two of them. Of course, I, we mentioned this before because he just passed away recently. But the toy cannon, Jimmy Wynn. Wow, sure. what a nickname! I mean, you can't you can't beat that. But I'll tell you, one of my other ones was Carlos Lee. He was El Caballo, which of course means the horse. Um, I always thought that was kind of a cool nickname for him. Uh, it, yeah, not bad, not bad. And, and you know, I was doing an Astros Twitter search to see if there had been some good suggestions over the years for the best Astros right now, the guys that should have a nickname. And, you know, let's start off with Jose Altuve. And, I mean, how does this guy not have a nickname that's stuck yet? But one, some of the suggestions that I saw, the little giant, little big yeah. man, uh, tattoo, mighty mouse, tattoo. Uh, pocket Jesus. I like a lot of these, Stephen, but I'm going to throw out one of my own. What do you think of the Bantam Bambino? Oh, love it. I think that's better than mine. I, I was going to call him the spark plug because he, he can be a spark plug for this team, most certainly. But say it again. Let, let me let me roll it off the tongue. The Bantam Bambino. The Bantam Bambino. Well, you could call him the little Bambino. Either one. Bambino is like I, I mentioned somebody had pocket Jesus and Bambino also means like baby Jesus. So it's, it's almost a little bit of incorporating that into it. So he's sort of like a little baby Jesus for the Astros, if you will. All right. I'll, I'll take the, uh, I'll take the, yeah, the Bantam Bambino. I think I like that one better though. All right. I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep this up, but this, the second uh, person that, I mean, Justin Verlander JV is about all you can find on baseball yeah. reference. 
And, uh, you know, here's a perfect one for Houston that somebody put on Twitter. Oppressive heat. Oppressive heat. Yeah, that makes sense in more than ways than one, especially, you know, during the summer. He's pitching. There is oppressive heat in Houston. Uh, he throws oppressive heat. So, yeah, I'll take that one. I, I honestly could not think of one for Justin Verlander that would do justice. So, I don't, yeah, that's a good one. Okay, somebody had this for the way he dissects hitters. They called him the surgeon, and I kind of like the surgeon, but I might extend it. So this is what I've got for Verlander, the chief surgeon. Because he's the ace. Yeah, that's what I would do. All right, the chief surgeon. All right, next up, George Springer. And in honor of his October production, uh, people had a couple of good ones. There was Autumn George or the postseason poster boy, which I'm going to come back to the postseason poster boy. Uh, Not bad considering his geographic background. Somebody said Connecticut crush. Uh, Furious George because of his furious all-out style. And, of course, the playoff Curious George. And finally... In honor of his dancing prowess, somebody put up their full tilt boogie. Okay, so there was really actually the 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 George Springer ones. There's there's some good options here. I love the postseason poster boy, but syllabic wise or syllabic wise or whatever, it's it's it's, it's, it's too much. Maybe too much of a mouthful. Yeah, it's too much of it. It's got to be short. They've got to me nicknames have got to be shorter. Unless I mean, if you're going to come up with a long one, it better be it better be good and. I have to. I furious George is what I'm grabbing. I, I like Connecticut Crush because here's that's why. good too. You got three things here. You got three different ways this works. It's you got the geographic part, obviously, with Connecticut, and then you've got the way he squares up a pitch and and the way it, it, it it's a crush when he hits it. The ball's there's a crushed quality to it for sure. But the third way that works and it may be less obvious. You know, the ladies all have a crush on him, and I can't deny that, Stephen. <laughs> No, I don't think we could. Well, I, I I can't argue with any of those reasons. I just I guess I like Furious George because it sounds good. Yeah, that, no. that's my excuse. <laughs> there, there's some there's some good ones there. I wish one of those would would attach to him because uh, you know George he should absolutely have a good nickname. We've already got the home run, the Springer Dinger, but he needs like his own personal nickname for uh, just uh, on a regular basis. But Alex Bregman, you know, it's we're long to the point where Alex Bregman should have a nickname, and I can't believe. A Bregg is the only thing that I could find in baseball reference for him. Yeah, but the, that's all I saw. The one that grabbed me from what people uh, put on, you know, stuff that I was able to find on Twitter. And um, it's basically doing a Twitter search and seeing if I can find if, if people had tried nicknames with them. Uh, somebody put the serpent, which if you think of how a swing looks, the way it's a quick strike like a serpent, that makes a lot of sense. So that's not bad. Uh, my idea for him is smirk Bregman because he's got, he's got the smirk. Everybody knows the it's, it's, smirk. it's his trademark, isn't it? Yeah. I just call him the smirk. Yeah. Or smirk or just smirk Bregman, smirk Bregman. <laughs> yeah. I, I do. I think that's, that's definitely my favorite for him. All right. Next up, uh, Zach Granke. And, and Oh God, I can't believe we're, we're almost to the end of Granke's career and he's got nothing uh, in honor of his noisy delivery. Somebody suggested <laughs> grunt. For him, grunt, which, yeah. you know, grunt, granky is not bad or just grunt, straight up grunt. I called it the grinky grunt. I referred to it, I know, in a podcast before, and I just called it, I, I gave what he does a name, but yeah, it's not an actual nickname. I got one more for you. Uh, this is this is my own creation. 
hopefully it's as good as Smirk Bregman, but um, kind of thinking about the crank for Granky. Number one, because he's a little eccentric as a personality, so the crank is is very like in his genre. And then number two, his wind up, you know, it's a slow early wind up, and then he kind of cranks it up as he throws the pitch. So it has sort of a double meaning to it. Ah, yeah, I think you just hit on it. Yeah, crank grinky. Crank grinky. I'm going to have to try to say that a little bit here. What else do you got? Do you have any other ones? None as imaginative as, as those. And like I said, Jose Altuve, I just thought of the spark plug because he can be certainly one for the Astros. Yeah, with Springer, what what was one that you referred to with Springer? Full tilt boogie? Right. Is that is that in regard to like how he is in the clubhouse where he, you know, he's in charge of the music playlist in the clubhouse. So I was going to kind of call him DJ Springer just because he's, you know, he's the king of the playlist. So I was wondering if, if that full tilt boogie thing had something to to do with what he does in the clubhouse. Yeah, I've heard him, I've heard the DJ Springer actually referenced. I've heard some people reference him as yeah. DJ Springer. It just it for some reason it hasn't caught on. Maybe that's just too like you, you got to be Astros in the know. But to me the po- the postseason poster boy even though it's there's too many words there. What a great I mean, yeah. there, there should be like a T-shirt that says the postseason poster boy on it or something like that. Well, and if you think about it, how at one time people were wanting him benched because he wasn't producing. And then all of a sudden he becomes that postseason poster boy. Um, I interviewed a softball player for a story I did once who, you know, she was average during the season. But when it came to the postseason and the College World Series, they, they her name was Anna. And that's why they called her postseason Anna just for that very reason. So, yeah, George Springer with postseason poster boy, you know, to think at one time that he wouldn't have earned that nickname if he had been benched. And, you know, who knows what would have happened. But A.J. Henshacore stuck with him and the rest is history. So I, I guess I would tell our listeners, let us know, you know, do you like any of those? Do you have any other ideas? You know, definitely send us some ideas. I'd love to hear some some more ideas for these guys, because. It, it, you know, it, it's this is if we could get something like this going, if we could get it start, you know, how about Houston Sports Talk starting a, a national nickname? I mean, that'd be something. Yeah, it would be something. You know what? Baseball needs all the help it could get marketing wise. Bring back the nicknames, for goodness sake. And that'll at least do something for you. You can't get anything else right. Yeah, exactly. And, and I tell you, you, you don't get AT&T Sportsnet in Austin, do you? No, I don't. Unfortunately, you you texted me the other day that you were watching some old baseball and football games. Man, I I'm jealous of you right now, Robert. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, speaking of nicknames, I mean, I mentioned Charlie Hustle uh, earlier, and you know, you, you you were some other nicknames, definitely in that 1980 Astros NLCS series with the Phillies that they re-aired that whole thing this past week. They they did wow. all five games. It's really one of the forgotten, outstanding series in baseball history. So underrated. And you can't beat Don Drysdale and Keith Jackson and the, you know, the pompous one, the, the uh, verbose, the egotistical, the legendary Howard Cosell on the call. Or as the- Elvin Bethay used to call him, Howard Cosell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and people forget that the Astros, that team, there were six regulars that year with at least... 20 stolen bases, which in the modern baseball, it's kind of ridiculous. But, you know, it's amazing because even with the speed and athletes the Astros have today, 
you're just not going to see it. I mean, really, when you think about it, you got Altuve and Bregman, Springer, Correa, Kyle Tucker. They've all got potential for 20 in the season with their wheels, but I just don't see it happening. Yeah, speed and pitching was definitely the mark of that 1980 team, you know, especially, and, and to think that if J.R. Richard had been a part of that, you know, he was for part of the season, but he certainly wasn't in the postseason. I mean, it would have been even more pitching, but yeah, speed and defense and pitching, that was the trademark of that 1980 team. And I, I certainly couldn't forget the series because I remember I had a friend over that weekend and we watched part of that series and and then Sunday, of course, was the final. Remember, the the final game was on a Sunday, and I was supposed to be studying for a test in college the next day. But of course, you know, I didn't because I was glued to that game, and I was so convinced that the Astros were going to pull that out because hey, Nolan Ryan was on the mound, and gosh, how it fell apart. And I think I went to college the next day and flunked the test because I was so upset because the Astros lost the series. And the one thing I noticed in, in that series was that, you know, geez, Terry Poole, he just never has gotten the love that he deserves from Astros fans. But, you know, he played 14 years for the Astros. He had a career 738 OPS, which is just rock solid. And even though he played in the Dome all that time, he was a really good hitter. And was he ever clutch in that Phillies LCS? He was 7 for 14 at the plate a 1,222 OPS in the deciding game. He was four for six as the leadoff man. So don't blame TP for this one. And Jose Cruz pretty darn clutch in that series too, for the LCS. He hit 400, a 1209 OPS. And Steven, one thing that I had forgotten when Cruz struggled in the 86 postseason, he was already 38 years old at that time to expect him at that point in his career to do anything, it just wouldn't have been fair. He was he, When he was in his prime in that series, he showed up. Well, that's absolutely true. And he was such a fan favorite, you know, for so long. But Terry Poole, I'd have to say, is one of the most underrated players in Astros history for the reasons you just mentioned. Yeah, he, he was, if not the best, certainly one of the best leadoff hitters the Astros have ever had before or since. And, you know, yeah, he did come through in that. I mean, he didn't get a whole lot of chances in the playoffs. So, yeah, he came through in that series. The Astros didn't lose the series because of Terry Poole and certainly not because of Jose Cruz. And you want to talk about sorry luck. The Astros lost their best pitcher, J.R. Richard, a couple months before the playoffs with that career-ending stroke that everybody knows about, of course. And then there's their best starter, which, you know, I was just watching the game not to – many hours ago again, and it was Cesar Cedeno dislocates his ankle on a play at first base in right. game three. He's trying to beat out a double play. And Steven, what might be forgotten was Alan Ashby breaks his rib and is done after game two. The Astros were a way better team that year when Ashby was behind the plate instead of Louis Pujols. Yeah, the, the Astros almost reminded you of uh... – some of the uh, Oiler football teams who were banged, so banged up in the postseason, uh, you know, that uh, you wondered if they were going to win or not. But, yeah, those are things that aren't very well talked about. In fact, I'd forgotten about Cedeno and Ashby's injury until I read about it fairly recently uh, when I was looking at the series. So, yeah, I, I mean, and, and to think they came so close that both of those guys had been in there, and if JR had been in there, yeah, I know, you, you can say what if all you want. But I honestly believe the Astros would have won that series – 
And they probably would have won the World Series because, of course, you know, the Phillies won it that year. Something else that I, I had no recollection of at all is Joe Morgan had a bad knee most of the series. He was dragging it. Around. Look, in game three, he hits a leadoff triple in the 11th inning and he's dragging one of his legs around the bases. And I mean, those are all key guys right through the middle. Catcher, pitcher, second base, center field. That's the heart right there. That's the heart. Yeah, it is. And, you know, some people may have forgotten that, yes, Joe Morgan did join the Astros that year, rejoin them, I should say, because he was with them in the late 60s up to the early 70s when he got traded to the Reds. But, yeah, he did come back to the Astros and contributed some more and helped them get into the postseason that year. So, uh, yeah, there's there's another guy that you don't really talk about much in that series, Joe Morgan. And, you know, the the Phillies were – you remember they called them the Wheeze Kids because of the age of the team. I mean, you had Pete Rose, you know, who was up in age and and several other guys on that team that were playing for him. So it wasn't exactly a young team (laughs) that beat the Astros and went on to win the World Series that year. A couple other quick observations. I kept a pitch clock on Steve Carlton. In one of those games, he was averaging seven seconds between non-fouled off pitches. But I'm sure you can't do it now because nothing ever became of Steve Carlton. No, wait, no, wait. I'm being told he pitched 22 years. He had 4,136 strikeouts and he's in Cooperstown. You can do this. This was in a playoff game, Stephen. Seven seconds. Yeah, that that's something that it's like, I don't know where it went wrong. But yeah, that's proof that these pitchers, you, you don't need to take. 20, 25, 30 seconds between pitches and make the batter step out on you and try to, it's almost like a gamesmanship thing now. But yeah, Steve Carlton, one of the most, you know, prolific pitchers in baseball, of course, famous for uh, getting so mad at the media. He didn't talk to them for years. Uh, even after his career was over, he still didn't talk to them. couple things about just visually of this. I mean, look, you're watching it in standard def, but, those Phillies and Astros uniforms, they still like make that screen just blow up big. And they're, they're kind of really cool uniforms to look at. I, I, of course, the Astros uniforms, um, obviously just a, a rainbow of colors, literally. And then it was also interesting to see in the broadcast, the shots of the players' wives back in 1980. And Steven, I'm just going to tell you, just be glad you didn't see the bad hairdos and the pounds of makeup <laughs> they were using 40 years ago. Thankfully, none of that has become retro cool again. Well, and to think that they were actually fashionable at that time. Yeah, I guess they were. <laughs> it's funny. Funny you should say that. Oh, brother. Yeah, you didn't miss no. anything there. And and just uh, I'll let people know that not only was that a, a cool thing this past week, but um, I did discover that a couple of Oilers games, good ones, love you blue ones are up on YouTube. You can find their win against the Steelers on Monday Night Football. Yeah, they beat the Steelers on Monday Night Football in 1978 and there's a 1978 Rams game uh, on YouTube and and it's got Vin Scully on the call. Wow. Now that I had forgotten about. I remember the Pittsburgh Steelers game because I was in high school and I was coming home on the bus that afternoon and I was bragging to everybody. There were there were a couple of kids who were from Pittsburgh, so they were obviously Steelers fans. And I remember bragging on the bus how the Oilers were going to win that night. And, of course, you know, they were talking me down. And there was a country song that came out around that time by the Kindles called the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was a cheating song. But the line in the song goes, and tonight 
the Pittsburgh Steelers play again. Well, I changed the words and I said, and tonight the Pittsburgh Steelers lose again. Well, I must've <laughs> helped them out, Robert, because they lost. I think it was, what was it? 24 to 17 or something like that. Oh my, we didn't know we were going to get a little <laughs> karaoke. You did not. And it's a good thing. It's toward the end of the podcast. Probably. Huh? All right. In case anybody missed them, our last two shows, pretty cool. I caught up with author Robert Jacobus, who's got a new book called Black Man in the Huddle, which details uh, the integration of Texas football, both on the high school and college level. Extremely timely stuff. Stephen, have you had a chance to listen? Not yet. I, I definitely, it's on my list though. But yeah, I, and I definitely want to read the book because yeah, if there was ever a time to talk about it, it would be right now. Yeah. Ripped out of the headlines this past week. Also, one of the integration heroes who he details has a son who just became the first African-American head of a U.S. military branch. Wow. That was pretty amazing. Go listen to the story if you haven't on the podcast. And not only am I proud of that show, but our throwback Thursday this week was a labor of love. I hunted down some of our best moments and favorite stories from the seven-year history of the show. Did you remember some of those stories, Stephen, from the show? Yeah, I do remember those. And, and I tell you, what a storyteller, you know, Mickey was, too, as far as just being able to and, and some of the things he said. I just yeah, I remember listening to the show when you did it before. But it was nice to hear it again. The Bob Aspermani story is just it, yeah. that thing never gets old. The the famous uh, story, the blind faith story. And, and then, you know, there's just stuff that I don't know if people you know, or, or it's not Houston sports stuff, but there's just great things with uh, David Basil, who's my friend, talking about running into Bill Clinton at the Triple Crown race, and you oh, know yeah. Megan Klingenberg talking about. Now she's she was Houston at the time, Houston Dash, but you know we talked about her experience with the, at the World Cup, and you know you got Charles Barkley just crashing bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, and stuff like that, <laughs> as only Chuck could do, right? Yeah, it just just there's yeah. if. If you haven't, go back and listen to that. And before we close out, though, I, I got a couple things. I want to give a big congrats to friend and longtime listener Judd Eisenberg. He and his wife Jennifer gave birth to their first child, Mackenzie, in the last week or so. And I'm extremely excited for Judd and his wife. Also, want to say thank you to Brian Biff, who wrote me on Twitter and said he listens to every episode while he's stationed in Hawaii for the Navy. And, and thank you, Brian, for listening. And thank awesome. you for serving our country too. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for serving. And yeah, that's, it's great to hear from people, you know, especially from all over the, in some cases, all over the world that are listening. And it's always interesting just to find out what they're doing, when they're listening and where they are. And I wish I was in Hawaii with you, Brian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same here. All right. Want to hear from you guys. Want to hear from you listeners out there. Send us some Astros nickname ideas. We'll put them out there and give you our thoughts on that and then we love just any feedback suggestions questions topics throw them at us i mean we're looking for stuff right now it's going to be slow for a little bit longer we're waiting for nba to start up for sure in a few weeks but message us through twitter facebook or email info at houstonsportstalk.net you know how to get a hold of us but in the meantime stay healthy and safe everybody you're listening to houston sports talk don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>